right. Well, something there is about you. Great song. Now, can we get to uh, the centerpiece of the record? This yeah. uh, this this one smack dab in the middle. So, I guess the question right off the bat: Are you guys are you are you fast, forever young, slow. or are you slow, forever young guys? Deeply slow. Always there. Slow. You go. All Never right. fast. Always slow. Yeah. The the thing. What I was saying about the anti-commercial thing. I just wanted to finish that point related to forever young. It's like. He must have known he was essentially, it's a very catchy song. Obviously it's been covered a million times, but it's almost like blowing in the wind and, and it's like sing along. You can sing along to it. It's anthemic. It's a song people want to play at their wedding. It's the song's so nice that he made it twice. It's true. It's the ultimate centerpiece to a record. It's literally the center and it's the same song. <laughs> By doing it twice, it, it, it really does almost like lessen the impact. It's like so weird. It all, it makes it, it cements the song as like a huge moment by extending it and giving you just yeah. like an, like an EP type move of like the bonus fast version, but it's like on the record. It's very strange. It, it kind of. Yeah. And you know, like most people, if you're like, Oh, you like blood on the tracks or whatever, if they're interested in going deeper with Dylan, you're like, oh, Planet Wave is, Waves is great, and the only song right. they know they from don't, it is Nobody who young. knows this song knows that it's from Planet Waves. And Planet the, Waves. the thing about the fast version is kind of amazing. Like, going back to what we were talking about earlier, this, yeah, this idea of this record resisting uh, fetishization. Even a song like Forever Young on this, it, it, by including that fast version, it, it does kind of take the wind out of the sales of it almost. Right. Yeah. He deliberately undercuts like emotional, the, the, like right. seriousness, emotional yeah. resonance. Yeah. yeah. You guys could probably edify me, maybe Jake too, but like, what does he do with this song live? Uh, he keeps it slow. It's, it's slow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The most recent version is the shadow kingdom version, which I think has basically yeah. come on top to be like the fan favorite performance from shadow kingdom. Wait, sorry, what's Shadow Kingdom? I don't even know what that is. That's the video recent, the video. The pay-per-view. Well, how would you guys describe uh, it? The video experience? Yeah, pay-per-view, yeah, pay as John Worcester uh, uh, called it, which yeah. is exactly what it was. Uh, yeah, he did like a live-ish, but pre-recorded concert thing uh, a couple months ago um, where he sang a bunch of his old songs in like new kind of reimagined um, uh, formats with a young band and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, no drums, no drums with an accordion. That was, uh, and all black and white, like immaculate hmm. black and white photography. And it looks like they're in a speakeasy. Yikes. I don't it's know. Cool doesn't sound good, but, um, how have you, first of all, I'm amazed that you haven't even heard of this. <laughs> Never heard of it. I thought it was a, a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, it, it kind of is, <laughs> you know, on, uh, <laughs> on Jake's show, time crisis. One of the things that happens a lot is Jake doesn't know about some current, pop culture thing and this is kind of dylan's most recent thing right his most recent foray in the pop culture it it is yeah it was definitely an event i mean he put out like a movie trailer for it essentially miss this completely it was on veeps yeah you don't know veeps the plat the internet the internet uh ticketing platform that everybody is talking about veeps everybody knows what veeps is and everybody loves and knows veeps. absolutely um as somebody who is actively like out pitching a project to studios right now, 
sometimes uh, somebody like Veeps will show up and be like, we have a lot of money we could give you right now. And that um, might explain why Bob Dylan ended up there. Just exactly. No, I'm sure. Wow. I'm sure that's exactly what it was. And it's a bunch of like uh, VC capital from Peter mm-hmm. Thiel or something. I'm just looking at Veeps right now. They're advertising their, their most recent big thing is a Coheed and Cambria live from New Jersey uh, show here. So they, they haven't really kept up with the big tickets. I'm realizing we missed a big opportunity, Ian, because we could have just said to, to Jake that Shadow Kingdom was anything we wanted to say that it was. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but Daniel knew, too. So he would have he would have blown along. the whole he would have blown. Sorry, guys. Yeah. My, my bad. It's all right. Shadow Kingdom was a performance that Bob Dylan did in the uh, Ice Castle uh, Hotel in, in, you know, that one in Siberia. The one, the one that's in James Bond. Yeah. He was performing yeah. there until he got too cold. Did you guys like when he set the Ice Castle on fire at the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And he drove the Aston Martin across the glacier. That was pretty sick. Yeah. The, very limber in his old age. Yes. Yeah. One could say he's forever young. <laughs> do, we, do we like this song? Thumbs oh, up. Yeah. Thumbs up for me. It's it's so funny that also like, so the reason the the fast version is on there is because some literally one person came through the studio, heard Bob, you know, cut this, the, the slow version, which was the original, like that was the one take that was it. Um, and, uh, and she was like, you know, this is, what are you doing? You're getting all soft and sentimental. This is bullshit. And so oh. Bob went back and made the band cut it again and again and again with all of these live fast takes. That's so hurtful. Who was that? I, I I actually read that was, same thing, Ian, um, about someone coming in and like spooking him. Um, yeah. And it's sort of like, and the, and and the producer well, at listen. the time was sort of like, or or the producer was like, "What are you talking about? This is like incredible!" Like, because it seemed like yeah. he had struck. Like the thing I was reading today was like he had struggled with the song. He had tried it on multiple days, um, and then finally nailed it. And yeah. like. Yeah, I'm probably what, what's the case is it, it doesn't matter who it was because given the time period when this was recorded, it could have just been anybody in the music industry who happened to walk into the room on a lot of coke. And yeah. <laughs> that was just like, they were just like, what the fuck is like, I'm sorry, I don't hear a hit. Like, yeah. what, what are you doing? I mean, yeah. Bob, like, I can is, totally well, relate to that like- as like, I mean, I'm a, I make a living as a painter and like sometimes like, well, your paintings are great, by the way. Thank you. I, yeah, and I actually saw the last show of yours at Nino Meyer Gallery in Los Angeles. Are you guys in LA? Both from Los Angeles. Yeah. Where do you live? Live there at the moment. Brooklyn here, and yeah, I'm San in San Francisco. Francisco. Oh, Brooklyn and SF. Okay. Well, anyway, sorry. Yep. Sorry, sorry, Evan. There you go. But you, so you like, you, you, so you actually saw my last show in person. I did. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. Yeah, a bunch of my friends were there too, and it was. Um, I, I'm bummed that I can't uh, see the the new one. I, I was at a couple of galleries today. I was at uh, Hauser and Worth and David Zorner. I saw some. Uh, I've heard of them. Saw Philip Gustin and uh, some <laughs> uh, Alice Neal. Oh wow! Real, these were great shows. Did you see the Alice Neal retrospective at the Met? I literally missed it. I was like, I went, and then they're like, we opened like we we stayed open last night because it was the last night, and we stayed open extra late. So sorry. So I missed it, but I got to see these mm-hmm. and they this was like early years. It's really, really great. Yeah. And she's, she was incredible. When is your show open? September 25th. Nino Meyer gallery, Los Angeles, Jake Longstreth's new show of paintings. Go see it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. I got a show opening September 25th, but anyway, I've just, it's like, I, I, someone coming through the studio and saying to Bob, yo, this sucks, dude. And him being like, 
damn, are you right? <laughs> like, I just relate yeah. to that. Like sometimes like <laughs> random people will come through the studio and like say something. Cause when you're in the middle of something and you don't know what it, it is quite, um, mm-hmm. you're susceptible to like people's opinions. Cause you're just sort of like, I'm working on this. I don't have perspective on it. I, it could go any number of ways. And if someone's sort of like, this is the way it's going, you're like, whatever thoughts you had had before that, that tended that direction. You're like, Oh yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure Bob, he recorded forever right. young and he was like, I don't know. Am I exposing too much of myself here? This is about my children and like my hopes for them. So am I exposing too much? And then someone coming in being like, Bob, you're getting soft. And then being like, Bob reverting back to Bob of 1966, 65 and being like, I'm the ironic, uh, you know, Andy Warhol, almost like, uh, arch, uh, emotionally detached. Well, um, the, the thing is, yeah, just it's like really interesting to yeah. psychoanalyze this specific moment because, like the the thing he goes back to, like the fast version of Forever Young here, it's, it's not like totally detached. It is kind of regressive, though, to like his uh, sort of Woody Guthrie days, like mm-hmm. almost. It has this kind of like mega. It's like it's so like jaunty and sort of uh, mm-hmm. carefree. So he like avoids being vulnerable by being kind of cutesy and uh, flippant. And then and it's just like really strange. Just, it, he almost like reveals more about his insecurity by doing that. <laughs> right. Right. He He's not confident. He's basically at the time of the record pressing was not confident, still was not confident in the slow version of forever young. The, the image in my head is one of two things. Somebody just being like, Oh, this is you're revealing too much or it's too personal. And I could also see a rock critic or something mm-hmm. hearing it, like somebody he led in to hear the album of being like, oh, so you wrote a graduation speech? Because it's real, it's real like laid out and simple in a way that almost has like a nursery rhyme. Yeah, too. right. Apparently the story goes that it's Dylan, Bob's uh, childhood friend, Lou Kemp's girlfriend who uh-huh. gave him guff about it. So just sort of a hanger on passing through the studio <laughs> one day Interesting. and gave him, gave him the old been, thumbs down. She must've been cute, huh? Well, look, I assume you guys have all seen, I assume you guys have all seen, I'm not well, there. We haven't. That's oh, one. God. That's like the one oh movie God. we Wait, haven't done. Ta- the Haynes it. movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I haven't seen it either. We're no, this is, are you guys joking? I'm a big fan. No, no. <laughs> we are. We're saving that guys. one. We're actually going to do it with. Uh, <laughs> we have plans to do it with Mr. Movies of uh, Jokerman Podcast, Will Sloan, who probably who, is that who will do it with. Strap hopefully. in, guys. Yeah, great get ready. I've heard the soundtrack. The soundtrack today. is great. Well, the thing is, it's like supposedly you know Dylan was involved in the making of the movie, um, and. Obviously, there's a lot going on in it, but the takeaway is that a critic said something bad about him in 1964, and they had to make a whole movie about it where seven different people played him. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's like the, the inciting final scene, scene is basically him remembering this critic saying something bad about him. <laughs> You're, you can't you don't say anymore. I don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> okay. Honestly. Okay. All right. Well, you have a lot of different iterations to view. There's a lot to that movie. Jake, are you a fan of that movie? Yeah, I am. I mean, it's not, it doesn't like hold together. It's not like a coherent thing. The way Bob's music and his different periods of his career are 
coherent in a sense because I mean, or like they, even though he's he he takes such wild left turns, they all make sense. Uh, the movie does not make sense. I mean, it doesn't. It's like there's great scenes, yeah. but it's just a complete mess. But it's um, it's a fascinating. The Richard Gear parts are real rough. Wait, what? What era does Richard Gear uh, like? Pat Dylan. Pat Garrett. Oh, is it like Western? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he like, he looks like Pat Garrett, but I think he's actually playing the endless tour era of Bob Dylan on a road show, which is represented as an old timey circus slash carnival. The carnival. And because he's on this endless tour, the dark carnival, they show of, him as an old Bob man. Dylan. Yeah. The carnival, but the carnival is a very, uh, like formative kind of, uh, yeah. experience or thing in, in Bob's history. So I'm, I'm glad to know that that makes an appearance there. Arguably too much <laughs> carnival. Well, that's probably why, because it played too much of a too much of a role in in making Bob who he was. Um, yeah. Forever Young, great song. Probably should have just been the slow yeah. version. Yeah, I know this is going to be insane, but I can't wait to talk about Dirge. Let's do Dirge. What do you got? I think I may have interacted with you guys on Twitter about this, but I think Dirge is Bob Dylan's harshest possibly most depressing song in his entire catalog. It's, it's got a, it's got a candidacy for it. It's pretty heavy shit. Lyrically, I hate myself yeah. for loving you. And I'm glad the curtain fell mm. a brutal, brutal lyric. Yeah. And uh, what's the last line of the, um, I hate myself for loving you, but I should get over that. Yep. That I yeah. should get over that. I should get over <laughs> that. Which yeah. is almost like saying, uh, I don't know. It's all, that's almost like a not, it's a bitter, it's a not necessarily totally bitter. It's sweet by way of bitter. Maybe it's like, I'm going to move on from this. I'm going to be okay. But like, yeah. And I feel like, I feel like Jake sort of gave me permission to recite a lyric, but like you can go verse for verse in this song with the harshest lyrics ever. But like there are those who worship loneliness I'm not one of them in the age of fiberglass. <laughs> That's the one. I love that. I love that. And then the crystal ball up on the wall hasn't shown me nothing yet. I paid the price for solitude, but at least I'm out of debt. Mm. I mean, th- that fiberglass line though, inspired me actually uh, like a year ago now, almost to like make this whole, I made this entire playlist um, of just songs that are like, celebrated songwriters doing songs about the computer and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I threw some songs from transverse city, the Warren Zevon record on there. I put some transformer man on there. Trans. Uh, Yeah. And then anything like that. I, I was like, Mm -hmm. I compiled sort of a list of like man versus technology, uh, rock, (laughs) rock songs. Yeah. I like fiberglass uh, counting as like, technology <laughs> computer somehow that was the uh, stretch guy that was the lie. thing that that just sparked my uh my imagination but it's, it's because it's so specific it's like yeah being in 1974 and you're thinking you hear about this fiberglass yeah you hear about this fiberglass i don't know i'm picturing like like 1974 being the era where you can maybe start to buy like Home Depot doesn't exist yet, but you could maybe go to like some sort of industrial supply and buy like huge, like 
like eight foot by a hundred foot rolls of like plastic sheeting. Yeah. Right. You know, I don't think you yeah. could buy that in 1963, but by yeah. the early seventies, I think you could buy like plastic sheeting. You could buy sheets of fiberglass. Maybe yeah. you could buy it on in 1963 on like on canal street in, in New York. Plastic City. sheeting. Yeah. I mean, that's where they've got all the plastic yeah. stores. Yeah. But anyway, Bob Dylan hates plastic. Well, guys, it's, inter- it's interesting you mentioned that because you know that he does mention Lower Broadway in this song, a very vague part of New York. Hey, Lower Broadway, that is not far from Canal, you know? Yeah. Um, I love it. I went out on Lower Broadway and I felt that place within. And it's like one of the things Dylan does really effectively as a lyricist is like all of a sudden he ups the stakes. So he says, I went out on Lower Broadway and I felt that place within. That hollow place where martyrs weep and yeah. angels play with sin. Also, in this age of fiberglass, I'm searching for a gem is pretty funny because a gem. Like, yeah. uh, the gem is like, uh, a, okay, a gem. Honestly, that line sounds like on the inside of a Hallmark card that you would give to like your sweetie baby on your second date for Valentine's Day. I yeah. think it sounds like it could be on Shot of Love or something. Well, it also sounds like it could be on Shot of Love. This song has one of the weirdest feels ever. I mean, he's defining the fur, the the feel in the title of the song. He's calling dirge, it dirge, right. yeah. You know, and it's like this down tempo piano that actually kind of reminds me of Blind Willie McTell. It a does bit. have a bit sort of, of that. a similar vibe. Yeah. And then he's just going off for maybe like two verses more than anybody else would. You know, I think about it, the end of his the case could be made that this is kind of a predecessor of idiot wind or something mm. like that. Yeah. It, 100% it has, that, it has the, the DNA of idiot wind in it. And he's like, he's like a little baby bird, not fully able to stretch his wings with that concept, but it's a, it's got that kernel of like pure bitterness and it's completely impossible yeah, to tell what his relationship was like on this record based on this, like the, You've got Dirge and You Angel You, like on right back, back to back. Back to back, yeah. So yeah. things are either really good or really bad. <laughs> yeah, and there was a moment with Dirge, kind of like with, I'd say, you know, like the two darkest moments on this record, obviously, are Going, Going, Gone and Dirge. But like over the past couple of years, I've worked some really shitty bartending jobs and I've had like annoying bosses and stuff like that. And I love this line. That he says in this song, he says, I can't recall a useful thing you ever did for me, except pat me on my back one time when I was on my knees. <laughs> like, it's such a harsh line. That's, and it's that's sort of a just good like, line. Yeah, he, he definitely is dropping some of that stuff that will show up in like Idiot Wind and in those songs on Blood in the Tracks where you're just like, oh, God, this is like hitting me so hard. That's that's like a positively fourth street level. That's what I was going to say. Right there. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah like a, totally. Have you guys yeah. talked positively on the on the pod? Because it's not yeah, on a record. We've definitely talked about okay. it, but um, it's come up here and there. Yeah, but we have one of my really favorite gone. Bobs. That's Such that's a, a top song. five Bob song for me for sure. I'm with yeah. you. It's you ever heard the Brian yeah, Ferry oh, the Brian uh, Ferry version? No, I never have. Yeah, it's quite good. It's like it's kind of like if you're really in the shit, like emotionally, it's like the one that you wish existed because he. He plays it as like a piano ballad. Sort of elegiac, yeah. L- the, literally as a dirge. Mm. The the original version of the song like sounds like someone who is better than the person he's singing about and knows it. And the Brian Ferry version sounds like uh, a song sung by someone who's worse than the person he's singing about and he knows <laughs> it. <laughs> yes. um, can, can I just say though on dirge, um, 
I think it's similar to going, going gone where <laughs> Robbie Robertson is just noodling. Yes. Over the entire song. Oh like it's first take. I've never heard this song. It's in the key of whatever C and I'm just going to like, like a guy sitting on inside of his bed in like a high school band, just, <laughs> just noodling yeah. over your friend's song. And I just feel like, go for it, man. And I feel like, um, I'm glad that it's in there. Cause it does. It blunts, it blunts the trauma of the song. It works as a balancer. It, it, and the whole thing, it, the whole song, the whole, especially on this song, it comes through as like a record that has this kind of like really beautiful, unpretentious air to it, where it's like, if you threw some strings on this, like it would suck. It would, oh like my that God. would be very bad. Like, I think even without Robbie on there, it would suck. If it was just, if it was just piano and vocal, it would just be too right. heavy. Yeah. 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 I agree. A hundred percent. There's yeah. this laws. I've like, this kind of just like easy, like <laughs> kind of casual, heartbreak to the song that keeps it from being like too self-involved too maudlin yeah he's like not gonna really go there he's not he might be crying but he's not gonna take his shades off and it really does stick out on the on the record too because like this it's like five and a half minutes and this is a record that's mostly a bunch of like three and four minute kind of like breezy songs and this one just like especially where it comes like the middle of side two it really just kind of like plops down like a big fucking just like obstacle in your way and you're like all right i gotta i gotta eat all this i gotta get through this whole fucking just like plotting pounding piano for six minutes of this guy going on and on it it breaks up the whole album listening experience but it's probably the song on the album that i have individually gone back to the most yeah and then it's like he's spilling some very heavy stuff in this song you know you know when he crosses over to that mode of like I'm going to talk bad about somebody and I've saved it for a song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he has to overcorrect and he sets that oh, course God. back to uh tin, tin, tinkle town with that tinkling little tinkle town. It's very hazelish. Yeah. With the, the most lightweight powder puff song on the whole record. You the corniest, you. the corniest song on the record, maybe the corniest song that he's ever recorded. Corny in a great way. Let me make clear. I'd fucking love this song. You it's just, angel, you, you, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you got me under your spell. Oh my god, the way you walk and the way you talk, I feel like it almost sing. You're as fine as anything's fine. The way you walk and the way you talk, it sure plays on my mind. We're really going deep on yeah. this one, lyrically speaking. Hey, I love that. It's you like know, a fifty. Like, I know, I'm with it's you. It's like a doo wop fifty song, which I'm sure yes, he loved exactly. growing up. You know, Everly yes. Brothers or something. It's, yeah, it really is sort of like. I love the way he says "memory on my mind." Yes. Memory on, like sometimes he just sort of like hits it on like a perfect, perfect inflection. Sometimes the song is so obvious that like it, it, it sort of like laps itself and you kind of just like, it, it becomes kind of, um, just like really effective because it's so obvious. It's so dumb it's that it like so bludgeons dumb. you. It like, I think it, we, we hit a little bit of that on shot of love with watered down love and with yeah. heart of mind. This is, this is proto watered down love and heart of mind. If you come at this with your like intellectual, I'm going to try to understand Bob Dylan sort of brain. Like <laughs> it's just going to beat you to a pulp. Like you, you stand no chance against you. Angel. Okay. This guy won the Nobel prize for, poetry or the written word or whatever. Let me just check out 
you angel you let me read this <laughs> but he, he he knows like a true genius does when to be stupid oh yeah i should check out bob the guy who won the pulitzer prize what's this song tough mama <laughs> tough mama has some has some uh heft to it lyrically as uh, more than i even knew now like, that it's actually. been now that it's been decoded by jake on this episode yeah yeah, yeah. jake I mean, you actually like did i wouldn't have really paid much attention to those well you know what's funny i looked up tough mama there. on genius and there was nothing no annotations mm. and i was sort of like, like genius isn't run by actual geniuses <laughs> guys it sounds like we have work to do tough mama's wide open on genius so someone All jump right. in there that's your tat J- jokerman uh, nation out there someone go and uh, take the last verse with whatever jake said earlier in this episode you can just transcribe it I'm just happy the phrase Jokerman Nation is is out there. <laughs> it's yeah, been out there before. They're okay, folks good. from sea to shining sea. This is a, a bit of a, a tangent, but we're just we're 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 going there. Evan, I think you mentioned the Everly brothers earlier with, with the, yeah, in, uh, in relation to this or, song. Or Ian Ian just did, I think. Oh yeah, sorry, uh, Ian. Sorry. Um okay. One of my favorite Bob, this is like the album before, was the Dylan covers record. Have you guys heard the the outtakes from that? I'm sure you've discussed this at some point. There's a cover of Yesterday by the Beatles. And there's a cover of um, All I Have to Do is Dream by the Everly Brothers. Yes. yes. Which, were, which, Very which, good. which were cut off of the Dylan album. Are you mean Dylan 73? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, that yes. Record? Yes, yeah. Yeah. There's some of that on the 1970 um, set, I think, that came out uh, a little while ago. Earlier this year, they did like a copyright release where they just like everything that he cut in the studio, they just put it out on like a two or three disc. You know, like I ended um, up with like a weird, you know, like back in the day when you had an iPod right? and you would like get mm-hmm. files from your friends and you didn't know what it was. I had a weird version of D- that Dylan record that had yesterday his cover of yesterday with George Harrison ripping this like sweet solo. And then there was a version of uh dream the like dream, dream, dream. Yeah. Yeah. With the, the, his version of that, which was not on the Dylan record. It's honestly, those two versions are some of my favorite Bob Dylan recordings. Yeah. Straight up. I've got to listen to those. I don't know. That Dude. I've probably heard them once. Yeah, I can make you mine. Me, me, taste your oh, yeah. lips, of, lips wine. of wine. Anytime. Not a day. The draw. Like, does he? Yeah. Like, no. I can make you mine. No, no. He's going like more like planet uh, waves. More like this. Yeah. Like That's raspy. the other thing we should touch on is the vocal delivery here, which is a marked difference from the, uh, country croon like yes. the country croon is gone and i think lyric like vocally this is a real sweet spot for Dylan. very strong this whole record like yeah. the whole record just sounds like he sounds his age which is interesting because sometimes he sounds like an old man when he's young and then sometimes it's it's kind of like all over the is place he like 30 here yeah 33 he sounds 33. like 33 okay. wow yeah. he's born in 40 41. 40, 41. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Same. All of the big sixties rock stars were not baby boomers. They were all, bef- no, they were all born before 1945. Jerry right. Garcia, John says, Lennon. Like, Dylan says that he was, he has thought of himself much more as a product of the fifties than of the sixties. And yes. it really makes sense when you look at his whole discography 
to think about that. Yes. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that, those are your formative, like your teenage years are your formative years. So Bob was a 17-year-old in 1958. Wow. So that's that's still like six or seven years before, um, you know, before Beatles, uh, right. Revolver comes out. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, that's six uh-huh, years yeah. before the Beatles play Ed Sullivan, straight up. Before, yeah, before the, yeah, that's a good point. I mean. Yeah, and it's it's crucial to to think of him as, as somebody more uh, from the, like, it's really, when you think about any cultural, uh, how culture works really and develops. I think the most important thing to consider is how old, like what were the formative years of this person's life and who made the content content who made the stuff they watched and read. <laughs> you're in, you're in the age God, of fiberglass. Yeah, but in 58, yeah. 59, but he was content a, in the, sense of the real word you know yeah. he was raised on stuff made by people who whose formative years were like 1900 like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, was, he, he came up on little richard and the everly brothers and elvis presley you know and so that that makes sense that uh that those in, those influences i think were really strong with him all throughout and have certainly come to the fore more uh you know in his in his later days uh, but that's why he's he's covering uh, the Everly Brothers on uh, the record that Jake was talking about, um, because that's the shit that he loves and that you know that he cared about, and that when he just wanted to get in the studio and you know have some fun, that's what he went to. I but to tie that back to, to this stuff, it's like songs like uh, <laughs> songs like "You Angel You," yeah, like it, it's it's in that mode. Yeah. It is like as yeah. ambitious as an Everly Brothers song, which is not to knock it, but it. It just it's natural for him to want to do that kind of stuff because that's part of what he loved and grew up on. So when you and there is, yeah, something about being a master of your craft to be able to write a simple song, too. Yeah. And and to do you it, know, there is something about that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, and also it wasn't retro. It wasn't he, he wasn't doing like a 1950s thing. He was, he was writing a song that maybe could have written been written by the Everleys in the late fifties, but it still sounds like 1974. Yeah. Yeah, And, and going back to like the point a second ago, it's like 1974 is still by and large, like really informed by stuff from 20 years before. Like there's still a lot of that in the air in terms of what the like uh, sensibilities for popular music are going to be. And they're just sort of, variations on that until it until frankly someone like dylan breaks that mold and then we're all surprised when he goes back to that he he kind of it might seem counterintuitive counterintuitive but he's fully happy to not progress music sometimes like he just wants to do it just wants to vibe yeah yeah uh never say goodbye This is my this, shit. This this one for you, Jake. See, this is one that I always just kind of like oh mentally like God. skip over on my way to weddings. Me too. You, please, even though I love this song, I feel the same. Please. Jake, please take. Well, you guys, you guys reached out on Twitter a few weeks ago or a month ago, and you're like, "What's the Bob song that makes you happiest?" Yeah, and I was like, "Never say goodbye, man." It's the wow, it's got man. the best feel, just the way the guitars open up, and just like. I don't even know what the song's about. I mean, it's never say goodbye. I mean, it's just like, it's just it like the feel, a, the vibe, the feel. It's like, it is, it is um, roots rock at its highest uh, realization. 
This right. feels like a yeah. like a There's dead song. Like, oh yeah, a lot in a big way. Yeah, yeah. Is there something about like I'm Iron and Steel? I didn't even know the lyrics. Iron and Steel. Yeah, yeah. I don't it's even just, care what the lyrics are. Which is funny because we're in a yeah. Bob podcast, but it's just like <laughs> it's just this one's just pure. But, how does it yeah. how does it start? I can't even remember. Twilight on the frozen lake, yeah. with wind yeah. about to break. Yeah. Uh, it is a it is a you know it is a fun no. Robbie's uh, playing on this is like he's dueling with Bob. Like yeah, his playing is so melodic. Bob's part is great. Robbie's part is great. Everyone's just like, it's just pure. Everyone's just like gelling hard. Yeah, they are locked in together on this um, one. The guitar work on this is great. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, return of a fan favorite character, uh, Baby Blue. Yeah. Uh, oh, from, baby, from the Bob Dylan extended baby, universe. Baby, baby. <laughs> baby, 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 baby blue. You'll change your last name too. You've turned your hair to brown. Love to see yeah. it hanging Turn down. Turn your hair to brown. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then wait for that there's no series. structure yeah, to the song. Blue. It just it just kind of like fades yeah, randomly. That's why the song I think has gone on. It goes a little unnoticed, uh, or at least as to Ian and I historically. But that's kind of just how subtle it is. It's kind of yeah. It's so natural and flowing that it it almost like it's not very architectural. Like yeah, the song. it, it reminds me these, like set piece moments. It's it, no, it reminds me of like a like a like a got it by voices song or something. It, it comes in, vibes are great, hard fade. Yeah, just like <laughs> what was that? Just like yeah, it just comes by like like it's like two minutes of awesomeness, no structure, and then just hard fade. Uh, just like I, I don't even. It's just like they captured a thing just, and that was it. Boom, we're out. Yeah, yeah. Com- comes and it goes. Yeah, completely ephemeral music for a song called never say goodbye which again a terrible title it could be like that could be like a i don't know you know just a lisa Loeb song whatever just like any any like any number like it could be a jim blossom song never say goodbye you know yeah 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 well when you go when you google never say goodbye it's not even the first song called that that comes up (laughs) no (laughs) no it wouldn't be would it that's a Bon Jovi yeah. song is the first one that pops up. Really? How about when you Google wedding song? What comes yep. up? Okay, let me talk about the title of wedding song. All right, let's get there. Let's bring it home. First of all, another kind of like Dirge, Dylan going long form. Right. Like, um, and to me, when you're as iconic a person as he was at this point, hiding from fame actively, Calling a song "Wedding Song" seems like a very definitive statement. Like it is an interesting it's just title. Me actually for, talking about my real life. Yeah, yeah, and he does this again. We see this again uh, in just a couple records on Desire. Like I, I think of this as a twin with Sarah, which comes at the end of Desire. Sounds totally different than the rest of the record. It's just really Bob and a guitar alone. Uh, same thing here. It's just this is just Bob and a guitar. We don't have Robbie noodling. We don't have this plonking piano. We don't have Tough Mama meat shaking on her bones. It's literally just like <laughs> I love you more than ever, more than time, and more than love. Like as as chill and vibey and loose as this whole record's been, like it all snaps into focus right here at the end. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good way of putting it. It really the way the master sequencing right here, like the way that it comes right off at the beginning that just like really confident strumming nothing else in the way and he just plows through this thing with like the most believable sense of 
earnest like uh, gravity with his his vocal. It's, he really yeah. seems he's just laying it down. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like you know he's laying out clearly like a big portion of his life in this song. He's talking about times when he was in poverty, mm-hmm. um, which obviously it's like the guy's been rich and famous forever, but he did have a period in New York where he was a starving artist in the very true sense of the word. Like I think in this song, he's revealing some real deep nuggets about his life. And it's sort of like, it's a song that clearly is like a statement piece. Totally. And it's more, it's, it's, it, it goes further than just him and his relationship with Sarah. Like, you know, obviously that's the focus of it here, but like some of these couple or some of these verses, it's never been my duty to remake the world at large, nor is it my intention to sound a battle charge. Cause I love you more than all of that with a love that doesn't bend. And if there is eternity, I'd love you there again. I think that rhymes with a little bit of what you were going after earlier, Jake, with the whole tough mama thing, this like art and commerce, like, you know, things getting bigger than Bob wanted them to be in the first place in the 60s like this is like a shockingly like kind of hyper personal look into everything that's going on inside of him not just his you know relationship at the time i love you more than blood it's heavy can i say can I, we, I don't like this song sorry, go ahead, no <laughs> i bet i also wanted to like we have to like you know this is like crosstalk or whatever you know that's some Different opinions. I also just, I just felt like this song was always like a guy trying to write a Bob Dylan song. Hmm. And you know what it was? Hmm. And, and I think someone said it earlier, like maybe it is like if Robbie was noodling over this, maybe I'd feel differently. <laughs> but because it's so minimal, yeah. I'm just like, this isn't, this is too serious. It I don't is. want this. Like, and trust me, I love Blood on the Tracks. I'm fully in on Blood. It's a, but like, it's a little bit of Bob noodling lyrically. He's kind of like letting it yeah, it's a little here. Like, I don't know. Alana's like, I like the, like the lyrics you guys were just quoting about, you know, uh, sign the battle charge. And it's just like, I don't know. I just find them kind of yeah. stock lyrics. The, t- the title is stock. I'll tell you that I don't listen to this on purpose ever. Oh yeah. I turn it off. Except for after- when I listen to it. Okay. <laughs> I've been listening to it more than I ever have in my entire life lately because I wanted to know what I was talking about here. <laughs> well, that's one interesting. of the things I really like about it, about this song is like, obviously it's kind of, it's almost like a, it feels a little bit like a, like an epic poem or like something it like something that somebody would read in like a bar room in Ireland, yes. you know, in like the 1800s. <laughs> right, it's real right. like, it it's does like a have poem. That. But I love Jake, you more than I love, Jake. I love this lyric. Water. I, mo- I love you more than the sea. I love you more this? than it, than strong ale. <laughs> How about this lyric? You gave me babies. One, two, three. Okay. What is more, you saved my life. Yeah. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Your love cuts like a knife. That is a Bond. little bit like Bob Dylan writing a Bob you Dylan know, song. This, for this sure. really makes uh, Blood on the Tracks start to make sense. Like he was in the headspace where he put out this song totally earnestly and then he got in a, a bad position in that relationship and he crashed so hard he, yeah. he was like about to, he literally put this on a record just like I'm gonna do this song without even blinking an eye like this is dead yeah. serious yeah it's interesting that that person came in and like gave him shit about Forever Young because this song Forever is like young. way cornier right like Forever Young is like man you're dispelling some wisdom for your children like Come on, it's hard to shit on that. The wedding song is just some like angsty, cliche ridden thing about 
your relationship. It's just like whack. I just think this is like the weakest song on the record. That's what, like I said earlier, I'm glad he didn't name the record wedding song. Wedding song. It's yeah. just like it's not in of a of a it's not the same emotional palette as the rest of the record, which is roots know, rock. It is a, wedding song totally is right. not roots rock. Yeah. You, you hear this thing though, and like honestly, I can't like I can't bring myself to say anything really bad about it because like this guy is, has not blinked once while he's singing it. Just like, all right, yeah, you love your wife. He's a singer-songwriter. Let's take him seriously, <laughs> folks. I'm always a sucker for any time, because Bob is so fucking mercurial, and uh, when you have uh, dug through as much just absolute bullshit and misery as Evan and I have <laughs> over the last year and a half, getting through this guy's Damn. entire life, uh, which has been great, but, you know, the ups and Shots downs fired. of his life, I mean... He's uh, yeah. he's been in some dark places, um, but it, just any time when he's willing to kind of just like be unvarnished and and give you a peek behind the curtain, I'm I just I'm always a sucker for that because those those moments are so few and far between. There, I'm I'm hesitant to criticize it at all because it's like it's I don't it's it seems sometimes like the only moments when he's really willing to be that candid are the ones where he just personally believes in something so much that it's just yeah. reality to him. Like the whole Christian records era is like a similar vibe to this. It's sure. like his relationship, his marriage is as sacred and as important here as it, as anything he is saying when he's talking about like men will beg God to kill them and they won't be able to die. Right. Right. The, the rapture yeah. is coming. <laughs> Etc. Well, it's certainly a way to uh, to end a record, and it's certainly a great record to uh, listen to in general. Anyone got uh, any? Le- we we've gone quite long as we always. Seem oh to hell do. yeah! Anyone got any parting thoughts on this one for us? Um, I would just say that it's a record that people actually do connect with often. Like when I've recommended it to people, people come back and they're like, "Oh shit, that has some amazing songs on it." Because it does. It sure does. Hell yeah, it does. I was yeah. thinking about this record last night because I randomly ended up watching Inside Lewin Davis last night. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, the last scene. Bob Dylan biopic. Yeah. The, well, no, no. It's the, the fake Dave Ron, Dave Von Ronk Dave biopic. Van Ronk, Van Ronk yeah. biopic. And the right, last yeah, scene is um, I, Oscar Isaac being like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not doing this folk bullshit. And I'm quitting and I'm playing my last gig. And then the guy after me is Bob Dylan. Right. Um, and like Bob's get, and like, it's just like a really cool, like shot, like Oscar Isaac's leaving the bar. And then you just see like a silhouette of a very skinny, gaunt, young Bob Dylan launching into an early folk song. And I was thinking about, I was like, Oh, I'm taping uh, the uh, episode tomorrow with the uh, Joker men about planet waves, which is like, 13 years after because the movie set in 61 right like january february of 61 and i was like it's incon like the music that they recorded on planet waves would have been like inconceivable in 1961 it's a good point and i and i tripped out on that i was just like that's so like yeah it's just like the sound like the feel like the roots rock like band chill vibes what, what, how yeah, would that even if, have sounded if that was in 1961? Even playing at the, 
yeah, at Cafe like, Wa. Can you imagine them just going? Right. Yeah, because to us this sounds so it, traditional and like like you've heard you've heard this kind of right. sound and vibe a million times. But yeah, to that crowd, to that crowd, it, they'd be like, "What this, this song like, isn't about up. the Irish potato famine." Get out right. of here. I, Dylan follows. He follows up Joan Baez with tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I recommend a rewatch on that film if you haven't seen it recently because it's, it's so, so it's that funny. Really, it really does uh, warrant rewatching because oh even the structure of the film is sort of the we circular whole, nature of it. We know? should do a whole episode. On I that. mean, the the Coens right. with like their the, like the very dry humor of the Coen brothers. They nail the inherent humor of like that super earnest early 60s folk music. Oh, I have a question. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, go ahead. Do, do you think that uh, Lewin Davis's music when he plays is good? No, I think it's supposed to be. He's like a midi. He's a mid. I think it's supposed to be good. No, no. I think he's like a middling talent. Yeah, exactly. He's like the app, like the replacement level folk singer, like not not way above or not and like way below. point that people maybe misunderstand about the movie is they think that he's either supposed to be good or bad, and I think you're probably right. He's just supposed well, to no, be like, like but okay. He's earnest, so it's like there are like extended one take shots of Oscar Isaac playing folk songs, right? And what does and, the guy say to him? He's like, I don't hear a lot of money in yes, this. Yes, the the F. Yeah. Murray Abraham guy. Uh, actor from Amadeus is like, I don't hear a lot of money here, but no, but like there's extended, but because of the cinema, uh, the cinema, cinema, what, why am I blanking? Cinematography. Thank you. The cinematic language of the film, there's, there's, there's an extended one take shot of Oscar Isaac earnestly playing a song. And because of like, we're used to the cinematic language of like, if we see that in a movie, right. we're supposed to take it seriously. It, it's meaning like if we're watching um, Dream Girls or whatever, and it's like Jennifer Hudson singing a song earnestly, we're supposed to be like, "Yeah, she's amazing." But like <laughs> right. in in Lewin Davis, it happens and then it's over. It's like it's, it's he's mediocre. Yeah, and like the way they filmed the Bob Dylan scene is so interesting because it's like Lewin Davis is just like, "I'm out of here," and you see you hear Bob starting to sing. And there's immediately like the crackle in his voice and there's a vibe and you see Lewin Davis's eyes, like just for a split second, just be like, what is this? But he's like, I'm already, he's already made the decision. He's out. He's out. Right? And then he gets the shit beaten out. Exactly. He walks into the back alley yeah. and gets the shit kicked out of him. And Bob's playing some great song, but it's just sort of like, I don't know. I just, that's a great movie. I highly recommend to rewatch. Yeah. We should definitely talk it. Yeah, sometime on here. I love that movie so much, and you know that I'm like fascinated with that era of like music managers in rock music, like with the fake zombies. Oh, sure. Like the Abraham character is a lot like Bud Grossman is the is the the name of the. (laughs) There were guys all over the country who were basically like trying to find a way to rip off young musicians as best they could in that era, and that's like a very it feels like a pretty realistic portrayal of it. And I would only say about Lewin Davis that I actually think there are a couple that one of those songs in particular is really beautiful. And while I think he's supposed to be a middling talent, I think it's also supposed to be like, well, why well, isn't a he lot of things, that? Yeah. Like what, what a lot of these things in life are just luck. Yeah. Oh, and maybe, yeah, exactly. You know, somebody hears the right song at the right time and he does become, a well, star. yeah. And he sings on the, 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 he, he plays and sings on the, on the, um, please Mr. Kennedy song 
that Justin Timberlake is doing with Carrie Mulligan. Right. Or, or Adam Adam, yeah, you're right. Adam driver. Yeah, yeah. You're totally right. Good, good call, man. And like, That's a, and also scene. like the weird, um, like army private that is doing gigs and has the representation from uh, Bud Grossman is just as much a mediocre talent as Oscar Isaac's character is, but it's sort of like, for whatever reason, like maybe because he's a, he's playing the game, whatever it is. Like it's, it, it shows you how random, like there's people, there's towering talents like Bob Dylan. And then there's like a big sea of just like randos. That's yeah, what it I mean, shows. I think Dylan seems right. to be somebody who has access to the, like uh, somehow just as like the library of all folk music history in his head. And then there's people who just see that this is kind of the, the mood and the vibe of the time and they throw their whole personal soul into it. And that sometimes it's just like, it doesn't work. Well, yeah. Even though it's like, as even though it's, they are as valid as, as artists. Yeah, no, in the, it's, it's, it's such a, it's yeah. Lewin Davis and Jim and Jean, who are the Justin Timberlake, Carrie Mulligan uh, couple. They're, they're, they're incredibly earnest. And like, and like, like you said, they put their soul into it, but it doesn't like, it doesn't um, make that leap. Yeah. I mean, to tie it back to stuff we were talking about earlier, that film and this this record also seems to raise a lot of questions about commercial versus uh, purely artistic in 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 that era and in Dylan's music through the seventies until the current day. I think that there's right. a lot to be gleaned from this specific record, though, about like where he's at here in terms of trying. Is he even trying to be commercial? <laughs> like this is somebody who's made it. And it seems like he's kind of like already confused and bored by the prospect of just being the guy who can make money. Yeah. And so, and this is maybe when he decides he's going to have a little bit of fun. Yeah. A little bit of fun or as we will see with the next record that he puts out, like the opposite, (laughs) he's going to be like, well, what if I actually like, what if I, now that I can afford to maybe, now I can be the Lewin Davis guy who's going to like, like maybe, maybe I can just play my guitar and uh, cry for a bit, <laughs> but also have a great time. Yeah. Cause planet waves about having a great time. Three stars for me. <laughs> we do things okay. a little differently around here. I don't know if you've seen our menu before at Joker man, but we do, um, you can get one to three stars. I mean, of a record. Definitely three. three. Love it. Yeah. It's a three for me as well. Beautiful. Wow. This is, this might be the, the first grand slam three, four way. Yeah, exactly. Grand slam three, three star delivery here because the only other four person episode of Jokerman uh, that we've recorded was the uh, Dylan and the dead episode with uh, Walter Martin and Mylan. And uh, we definitely did not give three stars <laughs> no. to that record. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't work. Yeah. Uh, we it might've gotten three stars uh, cumulatively. <laughs> um, Thank you, uh, Jake and Dan, both so much for joining us and yeah, it's been a pleasure. devoting two hours of your oh, life to I mean, cutting it up about this uh, 40 minute uh, <laughs> lark of a record from 1974. 
Um, do you guys got uh, any plugs or uh, uh, things to uh, to to tell the folks out there? Um, September twenty fifth, um, Nino Meyer Gallery exhibition of paintings of Cheesecake Factory and ikea and whatnot um and then check out mountain bruce that's my lark of a classic rock band <laughs> it's a it's a genuine classic rock band i would i'm gonna say i love it classic rock music thank you evan uh can i just promote mountain bruce too <laughs> is that cool yeah uh, i yeah um if you want to read something i've done and you have no idea who i am i wrote a Obituary for Prince in Time Magazine in 2016 that for some reason has been circulating on the internet again recently. Cool. It's about his it's about his guitar solo at the Rock and Roll Hall of oh, Fame. It's a minute second by the, second breakdown of that guitar solo. The great guitar solos. And then um, I wrote a story about the guys in ZZ Top going around pretending to be the zombies back in 1969. A crazy true story. You could read that. And then I have a wow, it's crazy. <laughs> And then I have a uh, podcast that I've been working on for the past three years, kind of an investigative thing about the disappearance of a guy who was in the band Iron Butterfly. And um, he disappeared. Taylor in Mal- he disappeared in Kramer. Malibu. Yes. Philip Taylor Kramer is his name. Jake loves his name. Great name. <laughs> Philip Taylor Kramer. It's a great name. Yes. And he, after he was an iron butterfly, he became a rocket scientist. And then he started a company with Michael Jackson's brother, Randy, and then he mysteriously disappeared in 1995. Wow. In Malibu. Philip Taylor Kramer. It's always the guys with the, with the three names. If you have seen this man, um, if you have seen Philip Taylor Kramer, please report to the Malibu uh, police office. (laughs) Or just call me. That's fine too. I'll call Daniel. Yeah. Uh, awesome. We'll, we'll throw your uh, Twitter handles both in the episode description as well. Um, Jake, Daniel, thank you both so much. Um, I think it's time for one of these. Until next time. Jokerman. Oh,